Tonight we're going to talk about grace and truth again. Um, Brian did a great job last week um, setting it up or and just talking about it. That's fun. Ooh, there we go. Um, so, there it goes. Why are we talking about this? We talked about it last week. We're talking about it tonight. Um, because we need grace and truth in our lives. Um, we need to understand how we receive grace and truth from God um, and the fullness that that brings. And we also need to learn how to give grace and truth to others um, and kind of how that works. Um, so that's kind of what I'm going to be talking about tonight. Um, we're going to, I'm going to start with, uh, John 1, 14 through 17. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Um, If our goal, you know, as we walk through this life is to become more like Jesus, then we want to grow in the fullness of grace and truth. Um, So I'm going to start this week, and I'm just going to tell you a bit of my story and kind of where grace and truth kind of weaves its way through that. Uh, And then we're going to get into some other stuff. So when I uh, I was born into a Christian family, grew up going to church, um, pretty regular stuff. Uh, went to church camp. Um, didn't really know life any differently. Um, on Sundays we'd come home. My grandpa would cook a big dinner for us, and uh, it was pretty cool. So then, um, when I was, I think about in sixth grade, so I was probably ten or eleven, something like that. Um, I remember going to the church uh, at at a couple of random times for some, like, meetings where my parents had to go in to these meetings. And I was 10 or 11. I didn't understand what was going on. Um, And probably, I I don't even remember, like, how long this went on. I just remember we went to the church for a couple of meetings. And then at some point after that, we stopped going to church. And I was 10, so I was like, yes, I don't have to get up on Sunday mornings anymore and go to church. Um, And I knew that something had happened. I knew that my parents were wounded. I knew that there was hurt there. But being a 10-year-old boy, I was pretty stoked, like, cool. I don't have to get up and go to church on Sunday mornings anymore. And then that was just kind of the way it was for quite a few years. Like, and every now and then we would be like, well, my parents would say, well, let's 
let's try something. And so we'd get up, we'd start getting up, and we'd go to church for a couple months at some new church, which is always kind of weird, you know, and I'm going into junior high at this point. And uh, it only ever lasted a couple months at a time, and something would happen, and I just remember hearing conversations. My parents would be like, well, yeah, I don't really like what's happening there. I don't like what's going on at this church. And so we'd stop again. And I was relieved. And, um, you know, so this was all through junior high. And uh, my sister and brother are five and six years older than me. So by the time I went into junior high, they had moved out of the house to go to college. So for like junior high through high school, I was basically an only child, um, which was great. (laughs) I love my brother and sister, but uh, anyway. Um, So, yeah, I was just like, this is cool. Don't have to go to church. Um, And Jesus was still a part of my life just because he always had been. I didn't really think about it. I didn't really think anything different of it. Still went to, like, church camp during the summers uh, and had, had some friends who were Christians, but not a lot. Um. So, and then I got into high school and, uh, I was a little bit older and I started kind of figuring out what had happened a few years earlier with my parents at the church we were a part of. Um, and the church we were a part of, uh, without going too much into it, um, uh, is a group of churches called, uh, Plymouth Brethren. If you're familiar with that, uh, it's a group of churches that came out of England in the 1800s, 1700s, something like that. And uh, their main thing is they believe they follow a thing called sola scriptura, which means scripture alone. So they don't have, like, staff. They don't have, like, a formal preacher. Um, They let the Bible speak. And then they have elders or men in the church who you know, share a word, but it's not necessarily official preaching all the time. And there is some really awesome benefits to that. Um, I grew up learning the Bible. I grew up knowing the Bible and not just Bible studies and youth group games. Like I didn't go to youth group like growing up, like, um, in that in that way, we talk about youth group, you know, like playing games and doing stuff. It's like we went and we were, learned the Bible. And for that part of it, I'm grateful for that experience of growing up in that church. The problem with that church and kind of what it leads to is it leads to legalism. Um, the definition of legalism is... Excessive adherence to law or formula. Um, And that's where the problem came with my family. Um, In Colorado Springs, where I grew up in the 80s, Colorado Springs was in a recession. And my dad had an auto shop. And he got a couple of hernias and messed up his back. And he couldn't work on cars anymore. So he went into building houses, which I don't know how that's better than working on cars, but that's what he did. If you know my dad, it makes sense, but 
Um, but when you're in a recession, there's no construction happening. Um, so we struggled through a, a large portion of the 80s just making ends meet. Um, I tell people stories like this, and they don't believe me, like because it's just weird. It doesn't make sense. Like I remember times going without food. It was only ever for a day or two, and then groceries would magically show up on our porch. Um, but I remember those times, and yeah, and that's that's the hardship that my family faced during that time. Um, God took care of us. He was faithful. We always had a roof over our head, and we always had clothes. We always, I mean, you know, it was, it was good. Um, but the elders of the church decided my dad wasn't fulfilling his godly duties as a husband and father by not providing for his family. And so they enacted some form of church discipline on us. Again, this is where it's unclear to me. Um, I should really ask my parents this story now that I'm an adult and find out what happened. But again, this was, this was my understanding of it at the time. And so, um, yeah. So, uh, which also, if you know my dad, is the hardest working dude that I know. So for somebody to come down on him to say, you are not providing for your family, um, was a huge insult. Like, um, I, I, like I said, I remember going without food, but I never held any resentment towards my father for not being able to work. I mean, the guy would drive to Parker and to Denver for work, if there was work. Um, it's just the nature of the situation, and so we struggled. And then to be in struggle, and instead of coming alongside and say, hey, we can help you, to say, hey, you're screwing this up, um, get your act together, or we're going to kick you out of the church. So that's when my parents left, and that's one of the reasons why. And again... I'm little. I was just stoked. I didn't have to go to church anymore. So it was cool. So for the next couple of years, we went to church kind of off and on and just couldn't find anything. And I think my parents had given up at this point. My brother and sister were at college. And um, I think they were just tired of trying to figure this out. So we just kind of stopped going to church. Um, so then I was, a, I was a sophomore in high school, and my best friend, Cam, uh, it was weird. It was This was a God moment also. I just happened to be spending the night at his house one Saturday night, or hanging out at his house one Saturday night. And we were having fun and doing stuff, and he said, hey, why don't you spend the night and go to church with me tomorrow? And I was like, sure. So I called my mom and said, hey, can I stay at Cam's house and you come pick me up tomorrow after church and my mom was apprehensive but she was like uh yeah sure you know that's fine um so i went to church with cam the next morning and it felt good to be back in a community and to be 
experiencing that again and to be somewhere where you're learning about God and worshiping. And so the next Saturday night, I was at Cam's house again, hanging out. And he said, why don't you spend the night and go to church with me tomorrow? Side note, Cam's family had also been a part of that same church growing up. And they had also left for similar reasons. So, um, you know, it's not like I was some weird rebel kid and they were trying to witness to me. They were just old family friends of ours and it just, you know, he invited me to church. So that happened three Saturdays in a row. And uh, I found myself just really enjoying it and like craving being back at church. I'm 14, and I'm a boy, and I go to public high school, and I'm a troublemaker, and I'm like, so then I started talking to my mom and said, hey, I want to start going to church again. My mom is like, what? Why is my 14-year-old son want to go to church again? So she was like, okay, okay, fine. She's like... I'll, I think for one week she like drove me to Cam's house and then I rode with them. And then the next week or something happened. She was like, okay, I'll drive you to church. And she did. And she sat in the car in the parking lot and didn't go inside. Uh, but she's like, if my 14 year old son wants to go to church, I'm going to take him to church. Um, so after a few months of doing this, then my mom starts getting suspicious. She's like, well, I better, I better check on this place. I better go in and see if what they're teaching my son is like legit or not. Just make sure he's not getting into something weird or whatever. So she went in to the church, and the pastor there is a great guy and just said all the right things, which got my mom's radar up immediately she's like oh this can't this is too good to be true this is not good uh and then she went back the next week and he said all the right things and he was she was like struggling with it she was like oh man this is too good to be true I you know i can't do this again like she went back the next week he said all the right things and then she you know the spirit moved or something got a hold of her and she realized no this guy is speaking truth like um and this is what i need and so she started going to church her and i started going um so and i and this is kind of weird because (laughs) there was lots of grace for my parents and eventually my dad started going and just Loved the pastor there. He's a great guy. Um, And there was lots of healing in it for them. My road was not so straight. Even though I was the one who brought us back to this situation, I still got into a place where I was a troublemaker. The youth pastor didn't like me. And I would drag friends with me every week just so I'd have somebody to talk to. Um, Because all the other youth group kids were afraid of me. Um, so again, I was craving being there, but I was still met with like opposition to me, 
to how I was, to my personage, whatever thing. I don't know. Um, but I kept going until I graduated high school. Um, and I dragged friends with me every Sunday. So I'd have somebody to talk to. Um, and some sort of weird form of evangelism, maybe, I guess. I don't know. But I wasn't looking at it that way. I just wanted someone to talk to while I went to church. And I don't know why I put up with it for three years or two and a half years. I put up with it of being ridiculed by the other kids there, being ridiculed by the youth pastor who loved my mom but made fun of me. Um, eventually, my mom got a job there as the worship pastor and she worked there for five years. Um, so anyway, that was... So again, very healing for my my parents after what they had been through in the church I grew up in to go to this church. But for me, I still struggled with this microphone, with this whole thing. Um, so yeah, but at this point... Um, by the time I was in high school, by the time I was 18, I had developed a pretty good sense of, Ooh, there it is back. I had developed a pretty good sense of, uh, I'll, I'll say it nicely. I developed a pretty good sense of screw you. Like. I don't care what you think of me. Like, I'm going to go to church because I love Jesus. And if you don't like me, whatever. That was a good thing. But so I'd, I'd come out of this period of legalism, or at least from my childhood. And as I got older, I started to understand what that meant. Um, and then I got to this place of, kind of defiance, uh, but defiance in the right direction, defiance against the world. Um, and I was still pursuing Jesus and I had, I had good friends at this point who were Christian friends and all this stuff. Um, but I fully embraced grace and I mean, extreme cheap grace. Like I can do whatever the hell I want because Jesus died for my sins. Um, and I, I, I say I was a rebel and a troublemaker and, but I wasn't doing, I didn't go down the route of, you know, self harm or stuff like that. Um, it was more like mental things. Like I challenged authority every chance I got. Um, so I remember I was, uh, uh, I was probably 20, I think. And I was involved in this like college group. And uh, I remember one day one of the leaders looked at me and he goes, Man, Dave, he's like, you really understand grace, don't you? And I was like, yep. <laughs> I, I don't think it was a compliment. Uh, but I took it as such. Um, and I just kind of lived that way for a long time. Um, not a bad place to be, 
but just wholly relying on God's grace at all times um, and kind of rejecting the truth that I had grown up with. Um, came to Scum. This was a few, this was a few years later. Um, Scarlett and I had been married. Um, came to Scum, and if you've read the book, um, my first night at Scum was fight night. Um, and man, I was pumped on that. It happened right in front of us. Like I was literally standing there and Nathan and Joshua, like were beating each other on the floor right in front of Scarlett and I and our friend Jonathan. And, uh, Jonathan turns to us and goes, yeah, we have a lot of unstable people here at scum. Um, and I was just like watching these two guys roll around on the floor throwing punches. And I was just like, whoa, this is crazy. Like, um, And then I realized fairly quickly after they had gotten up and ran out the door that these two guys were regulars. Uh, and that, that sealed it for me. I was like, yes. If these two guys can get in a fight in the middle of church... And they weren't booted out. Like, people ran down the street after them. Mike went after Nathan. I don't remember where Joshua went. But they dragged him back in, and they made him apologize. And that was it. Like, end of story. Like, I was like, man, in any other church that I had been in growing up, those two people, probably the police would have been called. um, And they would have been hauled off to jail for assault. Um Side note to this story, which is not in the book, but found out years later what the fight was about. And it was about who could evangelize Capitol Hill better. <laughs> um, which is pretty great. That's just typical scum. So, started out in this church very legalistic, very focused on truth. It's a very good thing, but with some bad consequences um, in how that went. And then I swung wide the other direction towards grace. Also, very good. Um, You know, Fight Night is a good example of grace extended to these two guys. Um, And then over the years at SCUM... um, That was 2001. So I've been here for 17 years now. So over the last 17 years, um, I've started to kind of swing back towards the middle. um, Towards understanding grace and truth better. Um, Scum still tends to err towards grace. And that is a good thing. It was a very good thing. But we could also get better at the truth side of that. Um, We tend to give people a little too much grace at times. Um, So I found this quote. I don't remember who I got it from, so I can't give him credit, but just know that this is not mine. But it said, Grace creates an environment for truth to be heard and either accepted or rejected. 
Um, and that's, that is one thing that scum is good at. I think we just sometimes forget to bring the truth part into it. Um, so that's definitely something to work on. So um, that's kind of just my overarching story of just uh, my growing up in the church and sort of the path that that took. Um, so yeah, I kind of went the opposite direction. I had truth first and then some pain and some hardship and and then embraced grace fully um, after that and probably a little too much. And now, as I've gotten older, now I've kind of hopefully regulated towards the middle. Um, so yeah, we're going to look at a story from John 4. Um, some of you may know it as the story of the woman at the well. Um, so I'll read it and then we can look at a few things. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink... You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Um, We'll stop there. I'm just going to go through this. So what we see is, um, I forget where they were, but Jesus and his disciples were heading back towards Jerusalem. And they could either go around or go through Samaria. And... Um, they decided to go through. Sorry, I was looking for something. They decided to go through Samaria, um, and they knew that the Samaritans didn't like the Jews, but they went through anyway. Um, so Jesus is sitting at this well, and this woman comes. His disciples leave, and this woman comes, and Jesus asks her for water. Um, Now, when you first kind of read this, it seems like Jesus is saying, hey, give me some water. I am Jesus, or I am a Jew, and you are a Samaritan woman. It is your job to give me water. Um, What I think is going on here is Jesus is in a foreign country. He is an outsider. It's like going to your friend's house, and you haven't been there before. And you don't know where anything is in the cupboard. So you say, can I have a glass so I can have some water? You are putting yourself now in a place of need and asking for help. Um, And I think Jesus, he didn't have a jug to put in the well to get some water. And so he's asking this woman, like, I am now in a place of need. I am an outsider in your country. Will you give me a drink? Um, so in all of these, as we go through this, like (laughs) through most of this passage, Jesus just asks a question. And if the woman 
who responds and gives you all the political background and nature of who she is. Um, so he just says, you know, hey, can I get a drink? Will you help me here? Um, he, you know, he doesn't address their differences. She can see probably by the way he's dressed that he is a Jew. And obviously then she calls it out right away. You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And and so and then Jesus answers her question, but kind of like he doesn't address the fact that he doesn't get political. He doesn't address the fact that he's a Jew, that she's a Samaritan, that he is a man in, in first century and she is a woman like the whole scenario, culturally speaking, is weird. So. Um, and so he just answers her being Jesus and what he knew, you know, he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Like he extends grace to her and he doesn't bring up their differences. He doesn't bring up any cultural abnormalities of him being alone with a Samaritan woman um, and all this stuff. And then, uh, well, we can move on to verse 11. Um, then she kind of takes the bait. She accepts. So, sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. She accepts. Um, which is also bizarre. Like, you know, she was supposed to get him some water, help him out, and then he kind of turns it around on her. So I, I kind of see this as, you know, Jesus extending grace to her, um, giving, you know, saying he has what she needs. We don't know anything about this woman at this point in the passage other than she's a Samaritan and he's a Jew. Um, so Jesus is just offering this to her and she accepts, give me the living water so that I won't get thirsty. Um, so yeah, and then we'll go to the next. So then, then he starts kind of putting some truth in there. He told her, go call your husband and come back fairly common thing. He's now entered into a relationship with this woman. Apart from him being Jesus, he wants to make sure this is on the up and up. So he says, go call your husband and come back and we can talk about this in the proper way. And so she says, oh, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right. 
when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Um, I heard, I've heard different explanations of this. Some say that she was a prostitute. Some say that she was just a woman who had five husbands, which even today is stretching it. But back then um, was really unheard of. A woman to have five husbands, and then the woman that, or then the man that she's currently living with is not her husband now. Um, so, Jesus, yeah, and then, so I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I say take take it for what it says. She was a woman who had five husbands. Um, and what that probably meant is that she had had a lot of heartache, whether these husbands had died and she was widowed five times, um, whether the husbands had left her, had broken their relationship. She has a lot of heartache, a lot of pain, um, you know, and then for this Jewish man to be questioning her had to be an awkward situation. So then he says, woman, oh, sir, the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. Now she starts to get um, religious and political all at once. I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Uh, might be deflecting a little bit here, but woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the father in the spirit and in truth for they are the kind of worshipers the father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in the truth. So, again, Jesus has still never directly acknowledged the difference between this woman and him, that she's a Samaritan, he's a Jew. And the only thing he keeps doing in terms of answering her questions about religious things is keeps pointing her towards himself and not putting any... Um, stipulations on that. Like, uh, I think when she said, I want this living water that you have, uh, I think that was her salvation moment. And so God said, okay, now this is what we do. Uh, they're coming, there is a time coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Um, so he was taking away all her sort of ideals of what should happen between the Samaritans and the Jews. Um, so, yeah, uh, basically he just says the differences don't matter. What matters is worshiping God in spirit and truth. Um, so that's kind of it. Like, I mean, there's more to this story. It's, it's great. It's a good story. The older I've gotten, the more meaningful this story is 
becomes in my life. When I was a kid, I was like, cool, Jesus hung out with some lady at a well and tried to get some water. And um, But the, the, I don't know, the interplay, the dialogue, so to speak, uh, between these two is just fascinating and how Jesus just deals with her. He starts out very gracious. Um, grace creates an environment for the truth to be heard. So he sets that all up so that she is then able to hear the truth that he lays down and she can accept it. Um, and also, if she has had five husbands, whatever happened there, there's heartache, there's pain. She needs to address the pain in her life at that point also to receive the living water. So there's grace and there's truth to get her to the place where she needs to be. So then she goes away, and then this is like a typical Jesus story. So then she leaves. His disciples come back, and for all we know, they just go on their way. And she goes into the town and tells a bunch of people, and a bunch of people get saved because of her testimony of meeting Jesus at the well in this in this little conversation that they have. Um, I just think this is a cool example of grace and truth, like and how Jesus uses that effectively. Um, the story of my life, looking back on it now, I can say that it was effective. Going through it at the time, it was messy. Um, and, you know, here I am. So, yeah, we need grace. We need truth. If we're lacking in one of these areas, we need to work on figuring that out. We also need to understand how God uses grace and truth in dealing with us. Because if I had been just pissed off at God when I was little, I would have been angry at the, the legalism that was born out of the so-called truth that this church was. And I could have bailed. I, I oftentimes say to myself that God took a chance. Um, I don't think it really was, but in my mind, I'm like, man, God took a chance on a 10-year-old kid. And instead of like keeping him in church, he's like, no, what you need is some grace. I'm going to get you out of this situation so you can learn. Um, so, yeah, uh, I experienced a lot of grace in my life. I experienced a lot of truth. Um, some of you know, um, and I'm happy to talk about this, I've been, I don't know, chronically something, I don't know, depressed since I was probably that age, somewhere around in there, like as long as I can remember, fifth grade, fourth grade, I don't know. Um, I had trouble in school, um, and I still go through bouts of depression today. Uh, I've tried all the stuff, whatever. Uh, some of it helps, some of it doesn't. Um, but 
I tell people who are experiencing depression and struggling with things, cling to truth. Um, again, truth sometimes is dangerous when it gives way to legalism, but I still say cling to truth because when you're depressed and when you're struggling with stuff, if you can know that something is true, it can help center you. Um, the example I give, it's stupid, but it's just an easy example to give, is the creation story. You've heard it all. Oh, it wasn't a literal seven days, you know, a thousand years. It's like a day to God. So it could have been whatever, you know. I'm like, I just choose to believe that it was a literal seven days, 24-hour days. Um, God can create the whole universe out of nothing, and what we have a problem with is the timeline. Um, you know, like, and again, that might not be your thing. I don't really care. I'm just saying that's, that's something that I use to ground myself in that truth. Uh, that's a simple truth. Um, I remember when I decided that. In my walk with Jesus, my walk with Jesus got stronger when I decided to say, I'm going to believe your truth in what the Bible says. Um, I don't think you have to necessarily do that, but it helped me like to just trust God that his word is true. Um, so cling to truth. Um, cool. I think I'm about done. A couple more things. Just to finish up. Um, so, the fullness of God's love is grace and truth. God's love is truth in your life. God's love is grace in your life. Um, when Christ died, God was true to himself because sin was punished. And then when Christ died, God was gracious because Christ bore the punishment, not us. Um, so sometimes we tend to just get stuck on our differences um, when we're dealing with people. And we, we have a little bit of both going on here at SCUM. We err towards grace, but we also have people who get a little heavy-handed on the truth. Um, and like to wield that around. Um, and what we see God and what we see Jesus doing in this story is not um, focusing on the differences and the and the problems or the the issues that this woman had, but then but just trying to focus her her towards him and towards the living water. Um. That's what I got. Hopefully, yeah, you found something in there that spoke to you. Um, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to enter into a time of communion um, this evening. Heavenly Father, just please give us more grace in our lives. And also give us more truth 
these things are not exclusive of each other. Um, and sometimes we like to think that they are. Um, and God, also help us to see the ways in which you use truth in our lives to show us things about ourselves. And then use grace in our lives so that we know that we are not worthy and that we can't do this ourselves. But it's only through you that our sins are forgiven and, yeah, that we can um, know you more. So, God, please continue to work in our lives um, and to have the fullness of grace and truth. Amen.